Welcome to this episode of the Security Clearance Careers Podcast, ClearCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates in our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. Thank you so much for tuning in to this interview that we're conducting today with Stephanie Jarris. She's the Director of Research at DOD Counter Insight Threat Program. So right now today, what we're going to highlight is their summit. So I'm excited to dive into some questions and get to know the program a little bit better. So I'm excited to hear from you, Stephanie. But if anybody has any specific questions, I encourage you to drop those in the comments. And we'll be sure that someone connects with you to get you more information, get those questions answered. So Stephanie, I thought that we could start off with a brief intro on you, the Defense Personnel and Security Research Center, and your role there. Thank you so much for having me today, and hello to the audience out there. I am very grateful for this opportunity. My name is Stephanie Jarris, and I'm the Director of Research for the Department of Defense Counter Insider Threat Program. I work inside the Defense Personnel and Security Research Center, which is also known as PERSEREC, and it is headquartered out here in Seaside, California. And PERSEREC is a DOD entity that is dedicated to improving the effectiveness, efficiency, and fairness of DOD personnel security programs. And so my job uh, inside of PERSEREC and as my role uh, as the director of research is to run the threat lab, which we created in 2018. And the purpose of the threat lab is to integrate the social and behavioral sciences into counter insider threat programs. Really interesting stuff, sort of the behavioral side of insider threats. I know that we see a ton in the news with insider threats within the Department of Defense and contracting or anyone, you know, running a business there. And California, that's amazing. You don't hear of a ton of government agencies that are, you know, on the West Coast as opposed to the DC area. So that sounds lovely and sunny. So you said the summit started in 2018. Let's talk a little bit more about that, why it started and sort of how it's evolved over the last few years. Sure. So the Threat Lab started in 2018. Uh, The summit itself, we did our first one actually in 2020. And like so many other projects, it came out of COVID. So in 2020, we had plans for a two-day in-person conference. And our job was to connect researchers who would brief an audience of government, industry, and academic practitioners or security officials. And so the purpose of this was so people could better understand how to integrate research into their programs. Again, two days live, about 150 people. By the time March rolled around, and then by the time May rolled around, and we really realized we are not going to be back in the office in 2020, we decided to pivot, which I suppose would be a bit of an understatement when you go from a two-day live summit to 30 days. And so we had about five months to make these changes, and what we created in 2020 is a was a 30-day virtual summit that you can go to at sbssummit.com. It is free. It is for a global audience. 
And when you log in and you register, you will see a collection of pre-recorded webcasts from experts talking about cultural intelligence. And I'll talk a bit more about that. But what we wanted to create with the summit was not only an opportunity for people to participate, to go in, to see people who are the experts in these fields, but we wanted an online archive that people could return to. And so, for example, if you're a professor and you're teaching a class that you could really use one of these webcasts, you can just log in and you can show it to your students. So now we have got a collected archive. Last year's theme was resilience and recovery. This year's theme, as I mentioned, is cultural intelligence and how it intersects with security. And we've also included a student poster session um, that I can talk more about as well. This continues some of our work that we've done to encourage the future workforce to join the insider threat community of practice um, by encouraging student researchers to think of ways that their work actually is relevant and applies to the work that we do. And so we're very excited to have a poster session for students to show off their work. Sure. Well, and that sounds wonderful to have all of that really important content sort of on demand instead. And Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of some of these uh, silver linings out of COVID that we found, you Mm -hmm. know, having all of these virtual events because there is demand for it and then having that content available for some time. That's wonderful. And getting students involved. That's another important piece of the puzzle, getting the younger generations interested in all of this. So Talk about personally or professionally, uh, why do you think it's so important sort of in today's uh, digital environment, maybe what the cultural intelligence piece means for that? Sure. So there's a couple of different ways that we can think about how there's a nexus between the digital environment and insider threats. And not all of our cases actually have that nexus. For example, there are many, many people who have um, gone on to commit insider threat events that have exfiltrated resources, have misused their IT access or privileges to exfiltrate data, classified or otherwise. But then there are also the instances of organizations and people who go on to say commit workplace violence. And this may not have that digital nexus. But there's also the ways that, for example, people prepare or plan the types of behaviors that they engage in. And I think many of us are familiar with the growing conversation around extremism, radicalization, and potential threats of violence. So the insider threat scope can be much broader than our traditional understanding of, say, threats to our IT structure or people misusing their access to exfiltrate information. And that brings me to cultural intelligence, because, again, this is not necessarily a topic that security professionals would immediately say, that's part of my job. But as we expand our programs to go beyond detection, to include mitigation and to include prevention, we have to start thinking of all the reasons that people decide to commit these events. And we know from research that very few people enter organizations with the intent to do harm. There are some cases of people who do. They intentionally infiltrate organizations to attack them for a variety of reasons. But we know that this is rare. And so that means that something along the way has happened in an individual's life and in an organization that makes the decision 
uh, or that contributes to an individual's decision to attack that organization. And one of the things that we work on in the threat lab is really making sure that the environmental circumstances do not facilitate or enable those decisions. So are people disgruntled? Are people working in a toxic environment? Are people working in an environment that incentivizes shortcuts? You know, we've all heard stories about, yeah, I knew the security rules, but my boss wanted it in five minutes. And so I had to go around them. And so are those types of behaviors rewarded or at times required for people to successfully execute the mission? And so cultural intelligence is the way that we interact and the way that we actually integrate um, our knowledge, skills, and abilities to work across diverse situations. Now, when I say diverse, I don't just mean the word that or the thoughts of people may come to mind with uh, diversity and inclusion efforts. Those are really important, but they're really only one part. Cultural intelligence is the culture that's associated with an organization, right? Culture is associated with where people come from geographically. We talk a lot about generational cultures. And so it's the ease and the skill with which people navigate these interactions and these spaces. So we've got that at that interactional level. How can we do better to create more positive and safe environments? But then we've got the other thing, and that, uh, that's at the micro level. How do our own backgrounds affect the work product that we produce? For example, I was actually just talking with one of our keynote speakers today, and how do we practice removing ideology from the work that we do as, say, analysts? And one of the examples I give is if we have an inquiry we're working on and we look through somebody's social media feed, assuming we have the authority to do so, and we see, say, a Confederate flag. How will that be interpreted through our own backgrounds? Will we see it as a problem? Will we not see it as a problem? Will we only see it as a problem if it's specifically called out in a policy that tells us it's a problem? And so what will we write down as evidence of concerning behavior? And so when we start to practice cultural intelligence, knowledge of individuals, knowledge of backgrounds, it also includes a recognition of our own biases and how they affect our ability to do our analysis. It's a ton to unpack, Stephanie. It is. I, I can't give a short answer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it is. But when you think about you know terrorism or terrorist events, you're thinking about the psychology behind it, but the culture behind it. All of those things are not siloed. So it's application to security and insider threat events, it it only makes sense. But again, it is a ton to unpack. Great work, really critical work uh, to ensuring you know security within your organization and other agencies within the DOD. So we talked about why it's important, and you touched on students who who should be engaging in some of these keynotes and events. Talk a little bit about who this might apply to. So all of the work that the Threat Lab designs for a public audience is designed for the global public audience, primarily for people who work in insider threat programs, whether you're in government, the private sector, doing crisis management, or doing wellness and workforce protection in schools. That's the primary audience. But it includes people who may have 
liaison roles with those programs. And so human resources professionals, uh, you may have IT professionals, cyber professionals, law enforcement liaisons, and counterintelligence professionals. You may also have uh, usability testers. You may have uh, people in personnel security. You may have people who are responsible for force protection and physical security. And so those are our primary audiences. Um, people with that nexus or placement inside those programs. But we also encourage people who need to know about these topics, like executive leaders. We need our executive leaders to buy into security programs so that they're appropriately resourced and supported and that they're integrated into every single business line rather than sitting behind a door marked security. And so I would encourage people at the executive level and boards of directors to also check in to see how can I prepare myself when I ask the hard questions during my board of director meetings about where are, where is our company with regard to security? And of course, we also encourage researchers to attend both uh, academic researchers, people who are doing lab work for government agencies, and also as well, people who are students in this space. Wonderful. So private industry, contractors, agency, academia. And if you log in at sbssummit.com, you will be able to learn more about Dr. Kirk Kennedy. And Dr. Kennedy is a licensed clinical psychologist who retired from the federal workforce in September, I believe, of 2020. And we were so excited because he joined Northrop Grumman, which is now Paraton, which is our prime contracting team. And part of Dr. Kennedy's career involved 11 years at the Behavioral Analysis Unit, the BAU, at the FBI. And he did a number of case consultations on insider threat cases, on terrorism cases, espionage and cybercrime. And he also did a lot of work in training and development. And so he'll be talking about, of again, those interpersonal biases, those cognitive biases, and how we can work to ensure our objective work product goes forward. And what I don't know if I mentioned or not is that this is free. Um, and so people can log in, they can attend as many times. Take advantage of this opportunity, national security professionals. So uh, like Stephanie said, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope everyone mm -hmm. enjoyed it and we'll get everyone's questions answered. Uh, so uh, again, for more information, sbssummit.com. Stephanie, mm -hmm. are there any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? I just want to thank you for this opportunity. And I also want to thank the National Insider Threat Task Force. They provided us with the resources to execute this summit and both their director, Robert Rohr, and deputy director, Rebecca Morgan, have recorded welcome videos that you can see on sbssummit.com. So thank you to them as well for their participation and support. Excellent. It takes a village. So everyone, for more insider threat news, uh, cyber hygiene, security advice, more on cultural intelligence, I hope